Uh, this morning, we have the joy of stepping into a universe of truth as we move into uh, the book of Genesis and make our way through the book of Genesis, uh, verse by verse and section by section. Uh, two weeks ago, I preached an overview sermon, which was intended to whet your appetite um, to the manifold power and wisdom and grace of God that we see unfold throughout the book of Genesis, this book of beginnings, which is our unshakable uh, foundation. And, you know, I mentioned two weeks ago, I should also pause and just say, I'm very thankful for Pastor Brian on a Saturday night, getting, getting the word, the nod to uh, step in and preach with not a lot of time to prepare. And so Brian's a team player and, and always happy to jump in and, and serve wherever he can. And so thank you, Pastor Brian, for preaching for us last Sunday as well. So, but uh, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings, um, and it is our unshakable foundation. And in a lot of ways, it really is. Genesis answers questions like, who is God? Why did God create the world? Was God bored? Who am I? How did we get here? How am I supposed to live? What's wrong? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with me? How can everything be made right? Can anything, anything be made right? And friends, I want to encourage you this morning that when, when you and I believe by faith in God and his revealed word, Genesis will bring a strong confidence from our all-powerful, unstoppable God who achieves everything that he purposes. There is not one purpose that the Lord God makes that is thwarted by Satan and his evil schemes. Not one. That means there is not one accidental or chance situation that is happening in your life that the Lord is not lovingly, sovereignly reigning over. Now that doesn't mean it always makes sense to us, but it's important for us to see that and see that we will as we move through the book of Genesis. So I just want to ask if you'd pray with me one more time as we uh, begin our journey this morning. Our majestic Lord, almighty God, Savior, our sustainer, and the Holy Spirit who indwells those who believe, we pray this morning that you would fill us with uh, your wisdom as we look at your powerful and complete revelation to us this morning. Would you help us to see you as the only majestic creator and perfectly good ruler of our world? And may we, in response to that, worship you wholeheartedly in light of your glorious revelation to us in the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis will be the first book in your Bible, so you can turn to page one and find that there. Uh, Genesis 1, we'll read verses 1 and 2 this morning. We may only make our way about halfway through things this morning, so we'll just have to see how our time goes. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This, friends, is the beginning of our entire Bible. Everything that follows in the Bible is inseparably connected to these two verses. We see right out of the gates that the Word of God says through his author Moses here, in the beginning, 
What a wonderful phrase to draw us into the truest of all stories and the greatest of all stories, right? Before the beginning, there was nothing. Now imagine it if you can. But you can't. Because it is unimaginable. And this may be a good place for us to pause and say that we, we approach the word of God with, with gratitude for everything that God has shown us in his word. We also approach his word with a sense of humility, knowing that, that God, God is, in a sense, stooping uh, to communicate with us, to reveal himself to us. But we should not think that we will understand everything there is about God. In other words, if there's any question I have in life, we should not think that in my own intellect, in my own thought process, I ought to be able to just figure out all of the answers and make everything make sense. No, there's a gap between what God communicates to us and the reality of who God is. And friends, the, 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 the take home right away, right out of the gates is that that, that gap causes us to worship God or it ought to. To stand in awe of God and say, God, you are, are much more magnificent than all of our intellects together combined across the whole world could understand. And you alone are worthy of praise. And so I stand in awe of you. You're God and I am not. So if we were to try to imagine uh, nothing, what was uh, before the beginning, and I'll even talk about that word in a minute, but what was before the beginning, you know, I don't know if you've ever gone on a, on a cave excursion and, uh, and, and you go down in one of these underground caves and they've got lights illuminating everywhere so you can walk safely. And, and then you get to sort of the innermost portion of the cave and, uh, and the, the guide may say something to the effect of, okay, now this is the section where in a minute we're going to turn off the lights and sometimes you're on a bridge or over the water or, you know, different caves are shaped differently, obviously, so that might look different. But, uh, and they say, if you, parents, if you have children with you, I want you to hold their hands or if there's somebody that's dependent on you, you know, hold their hands or put your hand onto the, onto the railing because it's, it's kind of funny how not being able to see anything can sort of mess with our, our orientation and our ability even to, um, to be able to stand. It can kind of throw us off for a minute. And so in just a minute, they give this long, elaborate warning and they say, okay, here we go. We're going to turn off the lights. You ready? Everybody's like, yeah, I think so. Right. And then they hit off the lights and it takes a minutes for your eyes to adjust. And as your eyes adjust, you all of a sudden realize I cannot see my hand right in front of my face. That's incredible. And you might blink, but you can't see anything. That's typically what we think of when we think of in the beginning when God created, before God created, that there was nothing. We think of black. We think of darkness. But there was no black because black is something. There was no darkness because darkness is something. And so before there was anything, there was God. Our first point this morning, before the beginning, there was only God, the uncreated 
creator. And I put the word before in parentheses because technically speaking, there was no before the beginning. There was no before the beginning because the beginning is time. And there was no time before God created the beginning, before God created time. With the beginning or in the beginning was the moment when God created time. But, but beforehand, it's, it's the only word we can use to sort of comprehend this conversation because all we know is time. And yet God is outside of time. And so God created time. But before that, again, to put that word in parentheses, there was only God, the uncreated creator or the unmoved mover as Aristotle sought to understand him. This technical term is, is called the aseity of God. I love this. Everybody say that word, aseity. Say it again, aseity. Aseity. Okay, now you can forget that word, but I love this word because it brings a theological terminology to what we describe uh, of the, as the reality of God. It's Latin, and it means from himself. So when we speak of God's independence, we mean this, that God is independent of the created order. He is self-sufficient, and God is self-existent. Matthew Barrett says it, put positively, he is life in and of himself. Now, just let that sit for a minute. God is life in and of himself. The aseity of God is that doctrine that says everything flows from him. And he is totally self-sufficient in need of nothing from no one ever or anywhere. We often ask this question, well, what was God doing before he created the world? And if you listen to even most Christians as we talk about it, right, uh, even as most Christians talk about it, you'll see sort of often a sort of a shrug of the shoulders. Well, I don't really know what he was doing. Like we have a hard time holding our attention for 30 minutes or four hours, let alone uh, infinity past, eternity past. And so sometimes we sort of uh, shrug our shoulders and say, I don't know. I mean, maybe he was needed friends. Maybe he was bored, right? I mean, these are logical answers to the way we normally approach life as human beings, but God's not a human, right? God, God, God's not anything like this. And so we think God must have needed something. We think he must have needed someone else. And, and so he created the world and he created people. Friends, listen closely. There's something that, that we don't hear as much as we need to hear in this world today. God is not needy. God is not needy. God does not need you. God does not need me. God does not need anyone or anything in this world. In fact, he doesn't need the world, period. God could have existed from eternity past to eternity future. Again, we're using words to bring time into the mix to help us understand. Perfectly, completely, and happy and full 
within the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. In several places, we see this throughout the word of God, that God does not need any part of creation in order to exist or for any other reason for that matter. He is absolutely independent and all gloriously self-sufficient. Listen to these three passages. Paul preaches to the men of Athens in Acts 17. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God gives everything. God asked Job in Job 41, 11, who has first given to me that I should repay him? What, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. No one has ever contributed anything that didn't first come from God who created all things. Similarly, we read in Psalm 50 verses 10 and 12, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on the thousand hills. I know the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, just notice the if he is, he's using language, this conditional question, which is rhetorical, but just to say, hey, if there were ever a day hypothetically speaking, that I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. If I'm hungry, I'll go find some point of application right out of the gates here. Friends is as you and I think about life and we think about the complexities of life, we think about the difficulties of life. Imagine needing help from a God who needed you. That's not the same to say, imagine being humble enough to ask another human who also needs help from others and at times you to help you. That's an intentional relationship created. But imagine you're crying out to the God of the universe who created you because he felt needy and lonely and wanted friends. And so he he would create us and, and create problems and allow problems so that we would call upon him in need. No. When God, when God helps us and God does help us, God, God reaches in, if you will, into the, the universe house of his resources that flow from him. In fact, I say universe to get you to think of something as large as possible. But he's totally outside the universe in its fullness. And so when we pray, We pray because we go to the one that we know has everything because he is everything. This is why we pray. If you don't pray, you're functionally saying, I don't need God. So why would I ask God? I can figure it out. Oh, that's a very precarious place to stand, friends. Tell God you need him. Even now, you might not even know how you need him. You will one day or soon. God, I need you. I'm totally dependent on you. It's one of the little whisper prayers I pray almost every Sunday when I walk up to this podium and say, God, I need you. If I say anything that's fruitful today, it comes from you. And if I say anything, and I know I do at times, if I say anything that's, that's not exactly from your word, I pray that it would just fall on, 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 onto the ground and that nobody would hear it. But let your word shine through because your word is all that we need this morning. 
Listen to A.W. Pink as, he, as, he, uh, as I'm quoting from The Solitariness of God. He says, There was a time, if time it could be called, when God, in the unity of his nature, though subsisting equally in three divine persons, dwelt all alone as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, there was no heaven where his glory is now particularly manifested. There was no earth to engage his attention. There were no angels uh, to him, his praises, no no universe to be upheld by the word of his power. There was nothing, no one but God. And that day, and that not for a day, a year or an age, but from everlasting during eternity past, God was alone, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied in need of nothing. He had had a universe, had angels, had human beings been necessary to him in any way. They also had been called into existence from all eternity. The creating of them whenever he did added nothing to God. Essentially, he changes not. And therefore his essential glory can neither be augmented nor diminished. Moses wrote one Psalm, Psalm 90. Oh, it is a glorious Psalm friends. Psalm 90, he says in verses one and two, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He goes on in the middle of the Psalm to speak of the reality that our days are numbered. And because of our sin, we're rightfully under God's wrath for sin committed against the Lord. And we're right to consider God's anger towards sin, but we stand in awe of God's mercy, his pity, his kindness toward sinners. And then in the last six verses, I I spent significant time trying to figure out uh, if I could shorten this or read the whole Psalm. And I, so here's where I landed, uh, uh, good, bad, or indifferent here, verses 12 through 17 in Psalm 90. Uh, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for many days as you have afflicted us and for many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to your children. Let the favor of the Lord Lord God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Shane and Shane on their newest album. Uh, I, I mentioned it, put it on Facebook this morning. I'm telling you, it's a song based. Uh, it's a song based off of this song, and I'm not kidding when I tell you. Listen to this song probably 500 times. You know why? Because I'm so easily satisfied with stupid, temporary, pitiable pursuits. Ways I try to make myself feel better. Ways to try to make myself feel bigger. Ways I try to make myself feel important. Ways that I try to, try to use my time wastefully so often when, when I can be satisfied and fully engaged with the person of God all of the time and would be bored never except when I find myself in that place because I'm not satisfied with God. 
that's where we get into trouble. Not being satisfied with God as he created us to be. You see, our souls long for communion with God. And yet we seek to find it in so many places. So I need this song. I need this psalm. Satisfy us. In the morning with your love. Or listen to, you know, open, open Psalm 90 and read this psalm as you listen to this song. And, 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 or Proverbs 8, which speaks about the beauty of gaining wisdom. Who is God? Number two, God created absolutely everything from nothing. Absolutely everything from nothing. In the beginning, God created the the heavens and the earth. Now, this word for God is Elohim. It means the mighty one uh, in the plural. It's it's called a majestic plural. It means uh, the mightiest one or the almighty one. It's used 2,300 times uh, to refer to the uncreated creator in the word of God. The mighty God, the almighty one is his name. It represents this tra- his transcendent relationship to his creation, his, his quintessential expression of heavenly being. God, unlike any human beings, is without beginning, begetting, opposition, or limitations of power, theologian Bruce Waltke says. God, this God who has always existed, has never needed anyone and never will need anyone, created from nothing, the heavens and the earth. Everything is flowing from him. Baha is that, that Hebrew word that means God created. Everything is flowing from him. Now, there are multiple perspectives on how to understand verses 1 and 2 together. And I, will, I just need to say, multiple perspectives from godly men and women who have a high view of Scripture and who love the word of God. We, we could actually spend a good five, six, seven, eight weeks reviewing all of these all of these perspectives and looking at them deeply and diving into it uh, honestly it, who's it, those whose intellect is is far surpass, surpasses mine far surpasses mine i know that's not a real shock for you but um it's important to understand these main things that god created from nothing that god needed no one and god never needs anyone right some will see this as a summary verse In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's just a summary statement. It's called a merism in the Hebrew language. And it just refers to the heavens and the earth and everything in between. It would be like saying, if you're talking about the United States of America, and you're talking about from east to west, we we all understand together that you mean uh, from, from, from New York or the easternmost points of the United States all the way over to the west, the westernmost parts of the United States. And then everything that's in between there, everything that's in between here, between there, right? Uh, I, I see this as a first act, the initiation of creation, which God fills out throughout the rest of Genesis chapter one. But, but it's, it's worth noting that there are godly men and women who have written uh, volumes on this and who love the Lord and have a high view of scripture. And so we're going we're gonna to focus in on the main things here, who God is that God created. Douglas Kelly points out this expression, God created when used in this particular way, is employed in the scriptures only with reference reference to God's divine agency. He says it this way. This Hebrew verb has a uniqueness about it, an absoluteness. It means the infinite, personal, triune God of the Bible made something 
out of nothing in the Latin, we call that ex nihilo. That is without pre-existing material. In other words, there was not a universe of matter floating around out there that God just, that just organized into creation. There was nothing. There was no one but God. And God created the heavens and the earth. The same kinds of words for creation, though different, speak about God forming from things, which is how you and I are used to thinking of that word, forming. We form things from someone else. We make something from something else. Even God does at times when he takes the dust of the ground, which he created from nothing, and he makes Adam. He forms Adam, but that's a different use of the word here. God created everything without pre-existing material, and in his own creation, of course, uses that material to fill out and to organize and bring order and beauty to the earth. Listen to Hebrews 11.3 as the writer of Hebrews comments on God's creative action in Genesis 1.1. He says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God did not need something to make something. Everything flows from God. And I'll be the first one to tell you that I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to stand up here and try to just give you a whole bunch of scientific theories. Uh, you'll hear me when we do speak about that. I'm going to quote a lot of people. But brothers and sisters, do not underestimate the priority which God has given to our lives of faith. We, by faith, understand that the universe, everything we know, was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Doug Kelly explains that the writer of Hebrews is saying that the visible reality we perceive, like the room that we're in, the larger building, the trees, the soil, our bodies, the stars, do not originally come from other things that we can see or even theorize, such a simpler, such as simpler life forms, right? Protozoa, amoeba, shear dust, as though they were a rearrangement of earlier types of matter. Instead, things that we see are made out of things that do not appear that is to say, out of nothing. Listen to how the psalmist speaks, uh, speaks and the cosmos springs into existence, whereas there was absolutely nothing of a created finite nature beforehand. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. Verse 9. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God created from nothing the heavens and the earth. The heavens just refer to the, 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 the height or the, the height of heights, uh, outer space, the solar system, the sky, the stars, the planets, everything that we would think of that is up there, the, the planet, sun, galaxies, even heaven itself. And the earth, well, that seems pretty straightforward enough, this, this earth, the ground that we know of. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We begin to see that the, the, the earth is created and ready for God to form and to fill. We see the Trinity, the triune God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit involved here in creation. Now, we have the New Testament to help us with aspects of this. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 tells us that Jesus was active in the creation of the heavens and the earth. Paul says he, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God has spoken to create the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 tells us, some things about the earth deformed initially. Maybe created as a mass of material initially, formless, without shape or waste in a sense. Tohu abohu are the Hebrew words here used here. In Deuteronomy 32, it speaks about a wasteland. Isaiah 44, a desolate place. Isaiah 41 speaks of an empty place. Isaiah 59, a confused place without order. Formless and void. And when God created the earth, it was uninhabited, uninhabitable, unproductive. Stephen J. Lawson says it this way, the earth was deformed and would need to be formed, conformed to his blueprint, undeveloped, unorganized, indistinct, and yet all the material that God would, would need or use, he has created and he has put there. The earth was like the earth was like an artist who prepares to make a big statue with a piece of pottery, with raw dirt and clay, or as a painter who sits before or stands before his or her canvas with blobs of paint, ready to create a masterpiece. The canvas, the paint alone, are valued at not very much. But when the master artist puts his or her strokes into the, the, the ink, the paint, and begins their brush strokes, it's transformed. We see the coming of the Spirit of God here. And the, the, the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You think about a you think about an eagle in a desert just circling and hovering. We often think of its prey, but we see this picture about how God, how God would hover over his people with a protective, watchful, loving eye. We see this Father and the Son in creation and the Spirit of God hovering over this lifeless earth, engulfed in darkness and, and covered by water, ready for the master creator add his touch of order and beauty. Friends, these are some of the most important verses in the Bible. And as I mentioned, there are, there are some different views of, of approaching these early verses that fall within the realm of Orthodox Christianity. I need to tell you that. 
what we must do is cling to the reality that an uncreated creator created everything from nothing because he is totally and completely independent of anything and anyone ever and everything good flows from him. Not just what we see in creation, even the regenerative nature, regenerative nature of creation, but life and breath for you and me. Jesus believed in the historicity of these verses when he, when he teaches on divorce and he attributes these verses to Moses where he talks about creation. Paul believed in a literal Adam and Eve created by God and fallen in sin and Peter believed in the historicity of the flood as well. Brothers and sisters, this is not a fable. This is not a story as we think of fictitious stories. This is the truest of stories. And as we rest in and by faith believe in the God of all creation, that will be the same faith that God will use to believe in the Lord as you endure a myriad of trials in life. Look to God who needs nothing and is totally sufficient in and of himself because God, the Bible says, created you. God created you and he knew you in your mother's womb before one of your days was formed, the psalmist tells us. What comfort that brings in darkest times. As we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we think about the wonder of what we see here. The creator God was Jesus, as I mentioned, the Son of God. And, and we, see, we see that in, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Genesis 1-2 pictures your life. Born in darkness, born in spiritual darkness, born in sin, with our lives a barren wasteland before the Lord. We need to become new creations. You may have already become a new creation, but you may be here today and have not yet become a new creation. But before we came to new life, the Spirit of God hovered over us, called us, converted us, convicted us, drew us, and made us to be new creation. And as we joked when the lights were off at the beginning of the service, we will see that God creates Light. You know how God creates light? Light. Light. And light is. And God uses the light of the Holy Spirit's illuminating presence and power to take a person who would one day read these words and maybe understand them intellectually, but not what they mean for them spiritually. When you opened your eyes one day and you saw that God's word was true and you loved him for it and you realized your sin and you trusted him as your savior. And we need to remember this week in and week out, which is why we come to this table. 
If you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and trusting in him alone for salvation, we encourage you to come and and celebrate this Lord's Supper with us. If you're not sure, come tap me on the shoulder or somebody that you know here at the church and ask them to explain it to you a little bit further. Maybe the difference between this relationship with Jesus and, and religion. If your soul feels empty, we'd love nothing more than to just talk with you about the goodness of your loving God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you are glorious beyond our understanding, and we praise you for who you are. May we stand in awe of you. May we worship you with our whole heart, with as much cognitive understanding as we're able as we search the scriptures and and seek to understand you more fully because you've given us your word for that purpose. You've given us your word in order that we might know you. And yet we will never know until we're in glory with you. We will never know everything about you. And that ought to lead us to worship. Oh, that you would create this universe and this world and fix your eyes upon people to save a people for yourself is very, very humbling to us, Lord. May we be humble. Think less or think of ourselves less as we stand before you and worship and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.